Today I want to talk to you about the Rock of Cashel. This is going to be one of the first things, if not the first thing that we see on our tour. And I want to spend a moment to help you understand what you're seeing, what the significance of it, and maybe the best ways to go about enjoying it and photographing it as well. So first, why are we stopping at this particular place and this particular ruin? It's just a particularly impressive ruin that dates back hundreds of years. It's, it's very big. It's pretty well preserved as well. So it's a, a great place. But also, it's just really convenient. And it's convenient for our tours. And it's also convenient even if you're not going on one of my tours. And I should mention this right away is that I'm making these audio recordings for my tours. And the idea is that people can listen to them ahead of time or maybe even while we're driving around or whatever and have an idea of what they're looking at when we get there. But I'm also going to post these to my website. And so there might be people just listening to these that aren't going on my tours and that's just fine. But I wanted to explain that uh, if I'm referring to my tours, that's why. Anyway, what we will do is we will set out from Dublin in the morning and we will head west. And, and that's what I always do. Dublin is the easiest place to fly into if you're flying internationally. And it's nice to see Dublin as well. So I usually start out there. And then once I get ready to go and, and start a tour or start taking pictures or whatever, basically make a beeline to the southwest of Ireland. That's about a four-hour drive. About halfway in the middle is a town called Cashel. It's about two hours outside of Dublin. It's a very convenient place to stop. So it, it's almost like they custom built a ruin for us about halfway in our longest drive. So it works out really well. I recommend you start as early as possible. It's one of those things where it's, it's a question of how early do you want to get started. The Rocket Cashel opens at 9, although you're going to hear that there's a way you can get started early. So, you know, ideally you'd start at 7 out of Dublin or maybe even earlier and be there right when it opens. That way there won't be people in your pictures because you'll be there before the crowds get there. And some crowds do come to the Rocket Cashel. So that's one way to approach it. And it's a pretty good one. However, that means you probably missed breakfast and you know you had to get up real early. So I don't know that you absolutely need to do that. There's a lot of places that you know we're going to visit and that you'll visit in Ireland and get great pictures, so you don't need to kill yourself for this one. Anyway, when you do, what you're going to be confronted with is a really big ruin with big walls, a big cathedral, a big round tower, and a couple of other ancillary buildings as well. And it's, it's all ruined, but a particularly a grandiose and well-preserved ruin, and so that's what we're here to see. I'll tell you a tiny bit about the buildings here, and it's not my intent to really get into that. When you get to the Rock of Cashel, they're going to give you a little handout that tells you what you're looking at, ages of buildings, history stuff, and all that, and so you can, you can get that there. I'm just talking about it here to help you sort of put it all in context, and so that's what we're going to do. So first, the buildings you're going to see are a round tower, something called Cormac's Chapel. And by the way, I'm the worst at Irish pronunciations. I don't even try. So this is spelled C-O-R-M-A-C, and uh, I have no idea how the Irish actually pronounce that. Anyway, in addition to that, you're going to see the main cathedral as well. 
the time for building this stuff was the the oldest one of the three is the round tower and that was apparently built in the year 1101 or at least that's when it was finished then there's Cormac's Chapel which was finished not long after that in 1134 the main building the uh, cathedral that you're looking at was built later in the 1200s and then it was added on to in the 1400s and and you know, like I said, when you get there, they'll they'll flesh that out a bit more. But what does that mean? What do these dates mean? How do you place this? I want to help you put this in context. And this is kind of a good launching pad to help you really put the whole of Irish history in context uh, pretty simply. Because if you spend any time reading about Irish history, you're going to see very quickly that it's a confused and endless series of revolts and invasions and tragedies and other stuff going on and it just never ends and it's all very very confusing so i want to give you a way to sort of put it in context very simply and also to help you understand what you're looking at so here's what i want to explain to you right away and there's a really simple way that'll help you big picture with a lot of the early stuff okay we're talking the ancient stuff that you're going to be looking at. So just remember three dates, and they are these, 400, 800, 1200. And it's nice and simple because they're just, just 400 plus 400 plus 400. So 400, 800, 1200. What do those mean? 400 is basically when St. Patrick came and when Irish converted to Christianity, and that happened during the 400s. None of these dates is exact because nothing just happened at the turn of a dime. But St. Patrick came in the 400s. What that, what that means to you is uh, prior to 400, we're dealing with the ancients here, okay? After 400 is when you start seeing Christian stuff, whether that be uh, monasteries, abbeys, things like that. Uh, and, that, and that's the way you'll see it in Ireland because there were no towns. They didn't just come build a parish church like they did in other places. They built basically proto-villages, which were these monasteries and abbeys where then they would have the Christian monks or whatever they were uh, in that place. So anyway, you'll start seeing those after 400. Most of the ones we'll see are considerably newer than that, but that helps you put that in context. So the first date is 400 is the Christians come. The next date is 800, and that is when the Vikings come. I believe the first Viking raid was actually in 800 or, or right around there. So the Vikings start raiding and now you see the Irish have to build more substantial fortifications and structures. And so you'll start seeing things like round towers and stuff like that. Not that the Irish weren't uh, fighting and killing each other before that. They definitely were. But the Vikings were particularly deadly and the, the structures that they used to protect themselves reflect that. So the main one you'll you'll see it and you'll see this at Cashel is the round tower. More about that in a second. The third date to remember is 1200 and that's when the English come. It's not exactly 1200. I think Strongbow is the guy that kind of leads the uh, force. He came I believe in 1169 but it wasn't again an overnight invasion. It takes time and so if we just round off to 1200 that's a nice easy way to remember it. And this has big time implications for what you're looking at in Ireland. What you're going to see is pre-1200, when the Irish build stuff, they're typically building it by putting rocks together in intricate patterns 
And, you know, it starts out as sort of these beehive structures and becomes more and more elaborate over time. But they're typically building without mortar, and they're typically building by placing stones uh, on, on top of each other in an elaborate fashion. Once the English come in 1200, and it helps to put the English history in context as well, because the Battle of Hastings was 1066. That was the Norman invasion of England. So William the Conqueror and all that. So these are Normans that have invaded Britain. And if you think of William the Conqueror and all that, you think of things like the Tower of London and the White Tower there, if you've seen that. It's a very squared off, mortar, tall structure that looks like what we think of as a medieval castle. Like there'd be a princess at the top or something like that. That's what that looks like. And in Ireland, you'll start seeing the same thing you'll start seeing a lot of castles that have that same look to them. And when they do, you'll know that these are post-1200 castles. So anything before that will have this sort of old Irish stonework look to it. Anything after 1200 will have this Norman look to it, the squared off with mortar castle. And we'll see a number of these uh, throughout our tour, or even if you don't go on the tour, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of these as you're traveling around Ireland. So we've talked about all these dates, but how does that manifest itself when you're sitting there looking at the Rock of Cashel? Well, before we get into the actual buildings, let's just think about it this way. Let's say, based on what I just told you, that you know that uh, in this place called Cashel, the Irish built a couple of buildings in the 1100s. What does that mean to you? And you'd probably think to yourself and go, okay, well, Christians came in 400, the Vikings came in 800, but this is pre-British in 1200. So uh, clearly these are probably Christian structures and there's probably a defensive aspect to it as well, maybe a round tower or something like that. And it's getting on pretty late in the game. It's pre-Norman, but uh, maybe a little more elaborate than your traditional sort of beehive hut stuff you would see from the uh, ancients. And you would be right. You will see two structures there that were both pre-Norman. One is a round tower. And incidentally, when you look at the round tower, you're going to see mortar in it. But there was not mortar when it was constructed. It was built without mortar. And the mortar was added by conservationists later to, to keep it standing. And then you're going to see something called Cormac's Chapel, uh, which is a much smaller structure. And to be fair, it is much more elaborate than I think what you would expect based on what I've said, but it is, it is much smaller. Now, let's say then you say, okay, well, now the Irish built another structure there, but it was after 1200. It was, it was in the 1200s and then added on in the 1400s. What do you think that looked like? And you would think, okay, post-British, post so probably uh, bigger and uh, more sort of looking like what we would expect from a a traditional castle or cathedral or whatever. And you would be right again, because that's exactly what you have, is they built this cathedral in between the chapel and the round tower, uh, and it actually more or less connects them. And that's what you have there. So that's how all this fits together, and that's how you sort of place what you're looking at. So anyway, as you're sitting there looking at it, this should help you put everything in context. You can see the round tower, the first structure, Cormac's Chapel, smaller, and then the big cathedral, post-English. And that's how this was all put together. And from there, you can look at the literature and look at the signs and look at all that stuff. 
and then add some particulars to this sort of overview of the structures. Now, these dates also help you understand what you're looking at, despite some of the things that you're going to hear. And again, I do recommend that you pick up the literature and you listen to what they're saying and you look at the signs and, and you read it all and take it all in and hopefully this helps you add some context. But I don't want you to be misled because they're going to say two things to you that are confusing at best. The first is that Cashel was the traditional seat of the kings of Munster, okay? And that this is where Brian Boru would have been crowned. And again, I have no idea if I said that right, but his name is spelled Brian, like what we think of as Brian, B-R-I-A-N. And the last name is spelled B-O-R-U. And so that's how I say it. I've actually never heard an Irish person uh, pronounce that. So I really have no idea. That's just how I say it. But these are significant things. And so let me mention it. They're not wrong, but they're confusing. And, and understanding what I just told you will help you see that right away. Let's start with this idea that Cashel was the traditional seat of the kings of Munster. What was a king of Munster? Well, Ireland at this time was divided into a series of very small kingdoms. How many? I don't know. I've seen the number as low as 150, which even that's a lot. And I've seen it as high as 500. So I don't really know, but just suffice it to say that there was a whole lot of them all over Ireland. And that's why you have so many ruined castles, is that each of them had to have some sort of fortification to retreat to or protect themselves or whatever. And that's what they did. So you have all of these little kings, and then they would be vying to become a more substantial king and to become king of an entire region of Ireland. And these regions had defined names. In the southwest of Ireland, that area was referred to as Munster. In the southeast of Ireland, that was referred to as Leinster. In the northeast, that is referred to as Ulster. And northwest was referred to as Connacht. And it's basically, you can kind of think of it as dividing Ireland into force. And what would be happening was these little kings are now trying to become powerful and become king of that region. And then they would become king of Leinster or Ulster or whatever. And since we're talking about Southwest Ireland here, we're talking about Munster. That was that area. And Cashel then would be sort of their seat. If one of these kings became super powerful, then they would become then the king of Munster. And Cashel would presumably be their seat of power. But let's take what we already know about Irish history based on what I just told you and apply it to that. So this cathedral was built in the 1200s and added to in the 1400s. This is a post-British cathedral. How many kings of Munster do you think there were while the British were occupying Ireland? How many kings of Munster do you think the British tolerated under their rule? And the answer has to be not many. And in fact, if you do nothing more than go look at the Wikipedia page, you'll see that basically there's this line of kings of Munster and it's pretty much done by the year 13, 1300. So by the time this cathedral is being used, this is not where, you know, the kings of Munster are coming and being crowned in an elaborate ceremony. It didn't even exist yet when most of these kings of Munster existed. So I don't want you to be confused about that. And in fact, what they say is Cashel 
was the traditional seat. They don't say the rock of Cashel was, they, they usually say Cashel. So I suspect, and I'm not an Irish historian. I, I make no pretense about that, and I want to be very clear about that. I'm just a guy that is very interested in Ireland and, and understanding what I'm looking at. And so I spend a lot of time reading about it and trying to understand it. And I'm trying to pass it along to you so that you can as well. But I'm not a historian, so I, I don't have all the answers. And so I don't know where they were crowned. I don't know the historians know. I don't know if it was on the space of the Rock of Cashel or somewhere else, but I do know it was not the buildings you're looking at today. So don't be confused about that, that there, there was no crowning here or, or anything like that. So when they say Cashel was the traditional seat of the kings of Munster, then yes, that was probably true, but it wasn't the buildings you're looking at. The next thing that they'll say is that Brian Boru would have been crowned here. And, and why do we care about that? Who is this Brian Boru? He is a really interesting character. He is the one person in all of history that could legitimately claim to be the high king of all of Ireland. He started out as the actually the brother of the king. He was never supposed to be king. And his brother became king and was one of these small kings in the Munster area that was vying to become uh, more powerful. And his brother was pretty good at it, apparently. And Brian then took over when his brother died. And I should mention the time frame here. We're talking the 900s here. So again, place that in our little matrix here. This is post 800, so post Vikings, but pre 1200, so pre English. And so we're talking about the 900s. Brian Boru is a chieftain or small king in Munster, but he's good at it. And so he eventually becomes king of Munster. And in fact, is crowned king of Munster apparently in the year 978. So that's our sort of timetable here. What's significant is that he doesn't stop there. He then moves on against these kingdoms in Leinster, Ulster, and Connacht and it eventually takes them over as well. And that had been tried. I mean, kings of Leinster would try to become the high king of Ireland, and many people claim to be the high king of Ireland, but none of them were real except Brian Boru because he does. He actually defeats all these other kingdoms. He is the high king of Ireland starting, I don't know the exact year, but we're talking late 900s here. Uh, perhaps around the year 1000. And his reward for becoming higher king of Ireland was essentially that he got to spend the rest of his life campaigning around Ireland, putting down revolts and things like that. That's what he basically had to do every year uh, between then and the end of his life. What he did was he would go around and do that. And I should mention something else. At this point, as I mentioned, Danes come at 800. We're talking about the year 1000 here. So the Danes are still a, a significant force at this time. And in fact, there were primarily Danish settlements within Munster that Brian Boru defeated and then you know, went on to defeat them elsewhere. The Danes were particularly strong in Leinster and in the area that's now Dublin. And basically in that area, they went to put together sort of one big stand where maybe they could defeat Brian Boru. And so you have this thing called the Battle of Clontarf. And this is going to be the big showdown between Brian Boru, High King of Ireland, 
the baddest of the bad, against the Danes, and, and they need no introduction. So here they come in all their force and fury against Brian Boru. They have this battle at Klontarp, and Brian Boru crushes them and defeats them. But unfortunately for Brian Boru, he's killed in a, in a weird accident thing. Not an accident. He was killed by a Dane. Um, there's different stories that go, but, but he was behind the lines. It wasn't like he was leading the uh, charge with a you know, battle axe into the melee. He was behind the lines and a, a, a sort of Dane straggler who apparently was like off praying or something ran into him and killed him. So he died, but the Irish defeat the Danes in the year 1014 at the Battle of Clontarf, and that's essentially what crushes Dane power in Ireland. So, coming back to present purposes in the Rock of Cashel, what they'll say is this is where Brian Boru would have been crowned King of Munster. So, that is significant because he was crowned King of Munster, and he was the one and only High King of Ireland. However, Keep in mind, I've already told you this was 978. The first building that you'll see, or the oldest building that you'll see, is the Round Tower, which was built in 1101. So this is significantly after. All these buildings are built significantly after Brian Boru was alive. I don't think they have any idea what was here at the time of Brian Boru, but they do know it was not these buildings. And so don't be confused about that as they're talking about that. This is not some place where they, they led an elaborate ceremony crowning Brian Boru king in, in the middle of this uh, cathedral while throngs looked on. That, that just sort of thing didn't happen. By saying that, I'm not trying to diminish what we're looking at. We're looking at a really grand cathedral and ancient historical structures that are older than our country assuming you live in the United States. And, you know, so it's very impressive, but I just don't want you to be confused by some of these stories that have, have split up or sprung up uh, about it. Anyway, with that, let's get away from sort of the context now and let's talk about what you are actually seeing and how you might want to approach it. I've already mentioned that you might want to get there early. It opens at 9. You want to get there as close to 9 as you can because this place does attract crowds. You're likely to have a lot of people there if you get there after, say, 11. Uh, I've been there that, that late, and a lot of people start coming in. In fact, if you get there early, you'll see that you, you, you don't have the place to yourself, but there's not very many people there from about 9 to 10, maybe even 10.30. But as you're there, you'll see people coming, and they just keep coming. And by the time you leave, there'll just be people everywhere, and there'll be tour groups all over and, and, and a lot of people. So getting there early is a, a, a good thing. You might even get there before 9, before it opens. And if you do, let me tell you the best part of the Rocket Cashel. And the best part to me of the Rocket Cashel isn't the Rocket Cashel itself, but it is something called Whore Abbey. It's an abbey. Uh, you can actually see it from the Rocket Cashel if you sort of look over the wall, and it's a little to the west of it. Um, we saw this the first time. We had come into Dublin. And we, rather than go into Dublin, we just drove straight out to the west. And as I mentioned, we, we stopped after a couple hours. Rock Cashel is just a really good place to stop. And we did, and we hadn't been there before. But, and you may experience this where your flight comes in really super early into Dublin. And so we had set out like at, I don't know, 6, 6.30 in the morning. 
And so we were in Cashel by around eight or so, and, and the Rock and Cashel wasn't going to open for an hour. So we were just kind of driving around, killing time, and we run into this ruined abbey sitting right next to the Rock and Cashel, just sitting there in the middle of a field. And you can just walk right up to it. There's nobody taking tickets. There's no attempt to protect it or keep people out. It's always open. And so we just walked up and started checking it out and taking pictures. And it is super cool. And what's really cool about it is there's hardly any people there. If you get there early, there won't be anybody there. And even as the Rocket Casual starts to fill up, you'll you'll find that there's very few people that go down to Hoare Abbey. So check it out. H-O-R-E Abbey. It's right behind the Rocket Casual. It's a, I believe it was built in the 1300s, Abbey, and it's pretty well preserved. You, you have a lot of room to maneuver, where, whereas if you're up at the uh, Rocket Cashel, it's kind of hemmed in by walls and structures. Down at Hoare Abbey, it is just in the middle of a field. So you can walk away and, and get some pictures zooming in or you know, get up close to it, whatever. You have a lot of room to sort of walk around. Be careful there. There are cattle in the field. Not always, but uh, sometimes. So look out for them. They, they're not, not going to attack you or anything, but they are there. But anyway, I started talking about photographing stuff. So let's talk about that now. We'll talk about uh, Rock Cashel first, since that's kind of the star of the show here. If you're a photographer, and, and I know not everyone listening to this will be, and so we'll talk about photographers and non-photographers, how you might want to approach the Rock Cashel. And it's mostly the same. But when it comes to photographers, you're going to be thinking about how to get cool shots of it. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about it, obviously. But let me tell you how I do it, and then this may help you kind of in your approach. What I do is I basically do two laps around it. I do two laps around it exterior, and then I do two sort of walkthroughs on the interior. The first lap, so to speak, is I put a wide-angle lens on my camera, and I'm just looking for big picture shots. Now, let me tell you how I approach that. And this is how I approach basically a lot of different photography. I break my picture into three parts. Uh, background, subject, foreground. All pictures in the sort of landscape context can be broken down in that way. The, the background is always easy. It's usually the sky. And certainly that's what it'll be here, is sky. Subject is typically easy. And in this case, it's super easy, right? It's the Rock of Cashel. That is the star of the show. That is what you are here to see. So you've got two-thirds of your picture put together already. But if you just leave it at that, that's kind of a recipe for a snapshot or at least a mediocre picture in my opinion. So what I'm always doing is looking for foregrounds. I've got my subject and my background already set. Now all I need to do to make this kind of a nice, cool composition is find foregrounds. So what I'm doing at Rocket Cashel is walking around the outside with my wide angle lens on just looking for foregrounds and that might be an Irish cross that might be a tomb and they do have those things there it might be something else anything that I can use as a foreground maybe something I can use to lead the viewer into the picture and I will warn you right away it's, it's a little tough here like I mentioned you're kind of hemmed in and I don't really feel like I've ever got uh, the best picture in the world of of the Rocket Cashel there's just it's a, it's a tough place. The best pictures I've actually seen have, have been via drone, and even that's tough. I, I'm not even sure drones are legal here. Um, and even if they are, you, it's surrounded by parking lots and other buildings that are going to be in your picture. So uh, that's tough too. But I do recommend that's kind of how you approach it. Is walk around with your wide angle, look for foregrounds, and then include the, uh, the main buildings in, in your shot as well. 
After you're done with that, then walk around with more of a telephoto. That could either be your standard walking around lens, uh, zoomed in a little bit, or maybe a, a bigger lens, like a 70 to 200, something like that. And just walk around and look for shapes, look for details, look for interesting aspects of it, and just capture those. You've already done the wide stuff. Now you're looking for sort of the, the detail shots and that sort of thing. So walk around doing that. Then when you're done with that, maybe go inside and do the same thing. First, walk around with your wide-angle lens, and you're not going to find a lot of foregrounds here. Uh, there's just not much on the grounds to use. But look for lines that you can use as part of the overall shapes uh, of the structures. Another thing for you photographers is bracket, because a lot of times you'll have a, a very bright sky, and then uh, obviously the foreground and the castle itself will be much darker. So by bracketing, you can work with these later. Then when you're done with that, Again, put on your longer lens and walk around capturing details and things like that. So I would do it that way, two laps each. And then I would go do the same thing at Hoare Abbey. Go down there and walk around it with a, a wide angle lens on. There's some really cool things to use in the foreground. There's a cemetery outside of it. Uh, very old uh, tombstones there, so check that out. And uh, there, there's just some cool aspects there to use it. You can also get shots looking up at Rock of Cashel from down by Hoare Abbey. So give that a try as well. But again, as with the Rock of Cashel, when you're done with that, maybe walk around with your telephoto lens on and do the same thing on the interior. And when you walk away, you ought to have a few good shots if you've done that. If you're not a photographer or you're someone that just sort of takes pictures with their phone, and I guess that's pretty much everybody these days, then... I wouldn't stray too far from that. I, I would walk around once and get a sense of the place and then maybe walk around again catching things you didn't see and, and maybe twice on the interior and just kind of snap pictures of whatever interests you via your phone. I would approach it exactly the same way down at the uh, Hoare Abbey. I would spend some time there. It's a great a great place. I can't recommend that enough. It's just a, almost a little sanctuary from the crowds of... Uh, Rocky Cashel. It's really nice to have a ruin almost to yourself, which you very frequently do at Hoare Abbey. So uh, spend some time there. You can also then, right next to the uh, Rocky Cashel, there's a few shops. There's a little gift shop right there. There's a little wool shop uh, right between the parking lot and uh, where the entrance. And then just down the street a little bit, I know there's a, a cafe or two as well. So there's some other things to do. If uh, you need to kill a time while the rest of your group is uh, messing around with pictures or just dawdling or whatever happens in groups of people at tourist attractions. All in all, I would probably spend about two hours at the Rock Cashel. I'd spend about an hour at the Rock Cashel itself and then about another hour down by Hoare Abbey. So I think that's plenty of time to see what you want to see. You could spend all day. You could go into Cashel and do all these things. But And if your time is unlimited, then great. But most of us, you know, have a week or two to see as much as we can in Ireland. And so in order to maximize things, you want to get on, get on your way. Speaking of that, then typically what your day will be from there is just heading out to the west part of Ireland. I know on the tour that I'm working on right now, we're going to go to a place called Beaufort House, which is right outside of Killarney. And so that'll be another couple hours. And so the, again, Rocket Cashel is a great stop, almost halfway in between this and Dublin. So you can use it, if nothing else, as a nice break. They have restrooms outside of the Rocket Cashel. 
uh, like I mentioned, there's shops, there's an ATM there, um, anything you need. So uh, it's a good place to stop for a bit on our otherwise four-hour drive. So hopefully this helps you understand what you're looking at uh, when you're at the Rocky Castle and uh, also explains why you might want to go and how to approach it. Uh, I hope you found this uh, useful. And if you have any questions or anything, let me know. Uh, either leave a comment, shoot me an email, or whatever. I'm trying to make these as helpful to you as I can. So if there's ways that I can do that better, I'm, please let me know.